Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. Hello again, everyone. It's Charles Marshall here on the West Coast Foreclosure Show. Welcome. It's good afternoon to those in the East. And I should say it's good afternoon to those in the West. And good evening to those in the East. And today is September 7th, 2017. Uh, Today I will be discussing the issue of sanctions and how the big banks and their servants will often use sanctions motions to disrupt litigants on our side. That is, they will, they will bring various motions to disrupt consumers and, and the consumers' efforts and our efforts to vindicate our rights. And there will be several pieces to that. Uh, which I will be discussing shortly. Uh, This show is brought to you by GTC Honors, Neil Garfield's Living Lies blog, which you will find at www.livinglies.wordpress.com and lendinglies.com. And the show is made possible because of donations from listeners like you. Thank you. Any amount you're able to donate is appreciated, and you can donate directly by selecting the Donate button on the blog, which is, again, at www.livinglies.wordpress.com. Now, the first sanctions issue we're going to discuss is removing Liz pendants, and a little bit of backdrop on that and the the other two important lawsuit related foreclosure lawsuit related matters that I'll be discussing the the sanctions can happen in these situations because they're supposed to be and theoretically there is a harm that goes beyond normal litigation that one of the parties to the litigation is you could say suffering, incurring, and with the removal of the Liz Pendens motions, because a Liz Pendens literally does tie up uh, the subject property of the litigation, and for that reason, 
it is and can be a useful tool of the litigation. And as I've pointed out in previous uh, blogcasts, it's actually required for you to put, put these list pendants on uh, if, if you read the statutory language on this correctly. In any case, what will happen, though, is that in these foreclosure lawsuits in places like California, and everything I'm discussing today related to these matters, by the way, uh, the, the place we'll see it most typically is in a non-judicial foreclosure state. However, even for those in a judicial foreclosure state, I'm going to be discussing uh, a sanctions matter related to discovery, promulgating discovery, responding to discovery. And the sanctions problem comes in usually when you're responding to discovery. So back to removing Liz pendants. So if you bring a lawsuit in California or in another non-judicial foreclosure state, and whether you have your attorney bring it on your behalf or whether you go pro, pro se, pro per, what can happen is the other side, and it will typically be either the mortgage servicer, in some cases it will be uh, the, the nominal trust holder, someone like one of the Deutsche Bank entities, uh, you know, with a, with a 33-letter trust or a New York Bank Mellon, similar type of trust. Of course, it could be other institutions as well, but those are some of the typical ones. You'll also see U.S. Bank. So what will happen is they will, somewhere in the litigation, oftentimes it's early in the litigation, the attorney for the other side, who, again, is rarely corporate counsel for these big banks and institutions. Especially in California, what you see are institutional attorneys from big law firms. And the attorney handling the case, they will contact your attorney, or if you're not represented by counsel, they will contact you by mail, phone, usually both. And they'll demand that the list pendants be removed. So, of course, you have to ask yourself when you get these types of motions, or at the early stage, the motion might not even be filed, but there will be a demand that you respond. So, again, I'm going to give some backdrop because it's important to understand this. When you're in this situation, this will give you kind of some some sense of, of how you might uh, go about assessing whether whether you should respond by removing the list pendants or whether you should not respond by moving, removing the list pendants. And I will say, of course, that this is not legal advice. I, I'm not analyzing any particular situation here. I'm only giving you kind of a general framework for questions you should ask an individual attorney practitioner particularly if it's your attorney, when you're faced with the situation, if you become faced with the situation. So with all sanctions motions, it's required that the, that the party, through their attorney, 
the one who's seeking the sanctions, they need to try to contact you through your attorney in advance. So you rarely will see just a, a bald, bold filing of a motion demanding the sanctions. What you'll normally see is communications of some kind, particularly with demand letters, demanding that you respond by, in this case, removing the list pendants. Now, in these foreclosure cases, you know, the ones that are filed from our side, the plaintiff's side, where the consumer is the, is the plaintiff. As everyone knows, our listeners especially, these are difficult cases. And although we do get wins sometimes, some really substantial wins, it's a difficult environment to litigate in. A lot of judges are skeptical of our cases. So it's important for litigants in non-judicial foreclosure states to understand that when they bring these types of lawsuits, while it's expected, and again, I think a proper reading is, is it's actually required to record a list pendants. And just as a reminder, the way this benefits you as the litigant, as the consumer, the way it benefits you is if the property's tied up in litigation, the incentive for the servicer to sell your property through the sales trustee, taking your property to auction, forcing it to sale, those incentives are reduced quite a lot when there's a list pendants on the property. And that is for the simple reason that the property, if it goes to sale, it's, it's got this lawsuit associated with it on the recorded documents and naturally a lot of individuals, even individual investors, don't want to buy into a lawsuit. And that's, that's literally what, what they would be doing. So when you get a demand to remove the list pendants, you as, as the target of this demand, you have to decide through your attorney whether or not to, to take the list pendants off. And I think there are two really important criteria here for you to consider. One is there's a lot of money that's demanded in these cases. So it's not going to be tens of thousands of dollars, just to give you a context, but it's rarely going to be something like 500 or 800. It's going to be something like 1,500, 2,000. You can see demand amounts up to four or 5,000. Several thousand dollars is really quite typical. And what that amount of money is supposed to represent, it's supposed to represent the cost of bringing the motion. Now, of course, these big firms can be charging their servicer and sales trustees institutional clients. They can be charging those guys $800 an hour. I mean, just what seem like, from a lay point of view, absolutely crazy amounts of money. Certainly, six to seven hundred would be quite typical. Uh, sometimes they have a different way of charging, but typically it's by the hour. And once that once that motion is worked up, they can pad in all kinds of costs and fees, which unfortunately the courts will sign off on. In other words, if they if you have a if you have a servicer demanding of you 
or again the nominal trust holder they have their attorneys in your litigation where you were the plaintiff they send you a demand letter and they demand that you remove the list pendants if you don't do that and then they bring a motion what can happen is in that motion you will end up if you lose owing these thousands of dollars now, what can you do tactically or strategically to thwart this? Well, one of the things you can do is fight the motion. But I have to caution everybody here that it's difficult to win these uh, motions in court. Uh, theoretically, the list pendants is subject to removal if on balance you're not likely to prevail on the merits in your important causes of action, particularly related to quiet title. So you could have, for instance, really good homeowner bill of rights claims in California, but that won't necessarily, and a lot of judges will not see that as justifying the clouding of title. So even if you have a strong homeowner bill of rights case, you might still lose one of these motions to remove list pendants. Um, the other thing that you need to consider if you're going to fight it as much to the motion hearing as you can, if you remove the list pendants, even after the motion is filed, a lot of times the court will just let that go. Meaning as long as the relief sought is granted by you somewhere somewhere along the way, even if it's after the motion is filed. In many cases, the judge will not grant the thousands of dollars requested by the other side to prepare the motion. So in that case also, let's say that there's a hearing date, and again, these rules in non-judicial foreclosure cases are going to be very similar and all the different states, motion, pleading, paperwork, it's all pretty similar. In California, uh, you would schedule a hearing typically anywhere from four and a half, five weeks out, more commonly two to three months out. Your response date in California in state court, nine court days before the hearing. What that means in the real world is, let's say you have a motion that's scheduled now by, by somebody in California related to this Liz Pendens issue. And here we are in early September. Well, the hearing might not be till November. Let's say mid-November, your response time is going to be roughly two weeks out from that hearing, sometime in early November. What that means is you could potentially fight this and Again, this is not legal advice. I'm, I'm giving you kind of a framework that you would use to consult with individual attorneys. So you could fight it by not responding until early November. And then at the response date or near the response date, then you can arrange to have the list pendants removed. Sometimes you can even wait beyond that time. And as long as you remove it before the hearing, there's a good chance the judge hearing that matter will say that, well, the relief's already been granted here. There's nothing to, it's nothing for the court to decide. There's a risk that a judge who doesn't like these cases at all will take a dimmer view of, of that strategy. But 
you'd have to, to consult with an individual attorney about that. Now, the other issue that you're going to see is related to discovery. And this is something uh, I direct to all of my listeners here today, especially, you know, the ones in non-judicial foreclosure case states. However, judicial foreclosure states, uh, listeners in judicial foreclosure states, I think you're going to find this piece useful as well. Uh, what, what the discovery sanctions motion looks like is this. And you could absolutely get one of these in a judicial foreclosure state too, where you're a defendant in, in these cases. So here's kind of the way this would play out. Let's say you're in a plaintiff state where you, you the consumer, have filed a lawsuit. Now, it's very typical in these states if you survive the motion to dismiss phase. So remember, that's one of the first things that happens in these cases is you get motion paperwork from the other side and the typical motion you're going to get is it's a motion to dismiss at the federal level. That's what it's called. At the state level, it's called a demur here in California. Same thing. It's a motion to dismiss. Now, if you prevail on that motion, which means literally that your case will go to trial unless it can be killed in some other way, and that would involve something like a motion for some judgment, a motion for judgment on the pleadings, unless and until uh, a motion is filed from the other side like that, and that's a very time-consuming motion to bring, so they're not brought that often. Um, the case goes to trial without that type of motion uh, killing your case. So your case, let's say it is moving to trial. So you've got this discovery you have to respond to. Now, and I've, I've mentioned this before on this show, and I think a long time listeners will have appreciated that this is a really, uh, it's an important topic and it's an important area to get real attorney legal representation of some kind. And the reason for that is discovery is a very complex legal procedure with lots of rules and many rules within rules. And for you to come out of that successfully, uh, there's a lot that you need to do procedurally. And one of the things that can happen in a discovery situation is that the other side can bring a sanctions motion. Well, when, when would they be able to do that? Well, one of the times they'd be able to do that is if you don't respond at all. And, of course, that's usually not going to happen, but it could happen, particularly if you don't have an attorney. And if you're in a situation where you haven't responded at all or you've responded late and then your attorney or yourself you get a communication from the other side demanding that you provide certain documents or certain responses that go beyond what you've already provided, whether you provided it late or not. You get what's called another meet and confer letter. Uh, so that meet and confer, by the way, could be through the phone, but there's usually an initial meet and confer initiated. So the other side is saying, look, 
you responded to discovery late, you didn't respond at all, or even if you respond on time, here's what can happen. The, the institutional attorneys for the institutional servicers and the, the nominal trust holders, they'll come back and they'll say, look, your, your, your responses are unacceptable. What the discovery will often look like in these cases is the following. You'll have requests for admissions where they will ask repeatedly in several different ways, admit that you defaulted on your loan. And of course, they, they have you, they try to have you admit that you received a loan from them. And they try to have you admit that you haven't made legally required payments on the loan. I mean, they doctor all, so many of their question prompts, which again, in the legal world, are called wet requests for admission. Some people call them requests for admissions. Whatever you call them, these guys on the other side are using these requests to kill your case, to make you look bad, to make the judge think that you brought a frivolous lawsuit. So what will happen when you get these, they're kind of, you know, again, it's called a meet and confer and they're required to do that, meaning the other side, before you bring a sanctions motion against anyone, you have to make an effort to get the discovery you claim is deficient. So what will happen is they'll cite sometimes statutory authority and sometimes case authority, usually both, to say, look, your, your responses are unacceptable. They're not in the form they're supposed to be, or you haven't provided the content you should have legally provided. And this is what you'll see very, very often in the, in the discovery uh, demands. And sometimes it'll be related to a request for production of documents. That's where as part of the discovery process, the other side is demanding you provide certain documents. And you may well have provided all that you have. And then they can come back and say, this is unacceptable. You really should have these documents. They're connected to your loan. They're connected to communications from us, you know, meaning, uh, again, the servicer, for instance. And this is one of the infuriating aspects to discovery. It, it's absolutely used as a tool of harassment by the other side in these cases. Because what will happen is they'll ask you for all of your uh, payment, payments made, every copy of a payment ever made to them. Or they'll ask you for all your mortgage statements or letters from them. Of course, they're the ones in the best position to possess these things, and yet you're expected to dredge all of them up and provide them. And if you don't provide them or you don't provide all of them, a judge may or may not buy some version from the other side that oh, you really do possess these, and the only reason you haven't provided them is because you're being uh, a butthead, to use that proverbial term. So what that all translates into the real world is the following. You get in discovery all these obligations to respond and provide documents. You may or may not in good faith be able to provide them the way that the other side is demanding. And if you say things to protect your case, like 
refusing to admit that you defaulted on a loan that may or may not have been a real loan in the real world. And listeners to the show will know what I mean by that. They've listened to Neil enough to know that calling these financial transactions loans that people thought they were taking out a loan, but in the real world really aren't loans, then you look at all of that in the judge world, in the legal world, and you can be held to account if you don't give the responses that the other side wants. So like with the Liz Pendens situation, you need to do an assessment on whether or not this is a fight that you want to maintain. You do have to be careful about the admissions you make, and you don't want to just cave. I mean, you can, you're, go, you're going to know from a, a, a discovery demand, from a sanctions motion demand. And again, they can't just file the sanctions motion against you if they don't like your responses on the other side. What they have to do first is, quote, unquote, meet and confer. They have to try to communicate. If you have an attorney, they're going to communicate through your attorney. Otherwise, they'll communicate to you somehow directly, usually by mail, but sometimes following up by phone call. And unfortunately, you do need to respond and make an effort to communicate with them. The reason that's important is oftentimes they don't have a good legal basis for bringing their demand. And you need to say that in your response. And again, this is an area where you will likely need an attorney, whether it's to consult when you're in pro per or pro se, or whether there's an attorney of record for your case. And whether you whether you give them what they want, so to speak, in a given situation, this is much more complicated than in a list pendant situation. And the assessments, therefore, are going to be more complicated on, to, on how you cooperate. But you need to know, and your attorneys should know and likely do know, that they themselves, the attorneys, can be held liable too here because attorneys are so involved with discovery, they themselves can be the target of the sanctions motion and the sanctions motion can demand that they provide provide money as well. And if you lose, again, you're, you're, you're looking at thousands of dollars, you know, sort of similar to the Liz Pendant situation. Several thousand dollars is not uncommon. Sometimes you can get as high as five, seven, eight thousand dollars. Uh, maintaining a frivolous lawsuit, that's the, the third prong of these sanctions motions that you particularly see in non-judicial foreclosure states. So now we're shifting back to that terrain again. In a judicial foreclosure state, you won't see this because even though some of the lawsuits should be considered frivolous, frankly, against our consumers in reality, but the courts don't see it that way. But if, if you maintain or bring a legal action where you already had an unfavorable ruling in court, meaning you brought a, a case already in California about your foreclosure situation and you lost on the merits, quote unquote, meaning there was a final decision, like you lost a demur or you, you even went all the way to trial and lost. In that case, if you file again with, you know, even if the players are somewhat different, the causes of action are somewhat different, there's a good chance you're going to get a sanctions motion on the other side. And these are difficult uh, situations to deal with too because it'll be directed against your attorney if you have an attorney and you. And if you lose, again, you're looking at thousands of dollars. So 
I would say with this type of situation, if if you, you again, you're gonna you're gonna get a, a demand letter originally, and then you need to consult with an attorney if you're pro 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 se, or you need to have your attorney really look at that. You're gonna have a few weeks in state court in California. It's typically 21 days for you to consider whether to pull the new lawsuit or not. Um, but you are going to have to really look analytically at race judicata law. We've discussed that on this show before. The quick version of what that means is if you have sued over a certain transaction, like a mortgage refinancing or a mortgage origination, even if the players in the new lawsuit are different, and even if a lot of your causes of action are different, it's considered that you've had one bite of the apple if you lost a previous previous case at somewhere in some legal form, you lost the case. So keep that in mind when you bring new lawsuits. Keep it in mind as consumers that this is one of the reasons it's difficult to find attorneys to bring lawsuits when you've litigated before. It's because when you lose at any stage, you can end up getting one of these sanctions motions when you bring the new lawsuit. And for next week, as we look ahead to next week, uh, the Neil Garfield show itself will be back and we'll be, as always, letting our listeners know in advance what we will be discussing on that show. And, of course, I will be back in two weeks with another West Coast foreclosure show. <laughs>